0: Morning, y'all. Morning. How are y'all doing? Good. A few of you are doing good. Well, good. I'm not your speaker this morning, but I did want to introduce him to you before he comes up to speak. I wanted to introduce to you my friend Will Smith, not to be confused with the actor. The Will Smith that's going to address you today is much cooler and his marriage much healthier. Uh, And so, uh, yeah. So in a moment we're going to hear from Will. Will is an elder at our church. What that means is that Uh, While I'm the pastor of the church, I'm also one elder among many others, so I don't possess sort of unilateral authority by myself. It's not uh, sort of whatever Pastor Brian says, that's what goes around here. We are ruled and and governed, overseen, and led by a team, by a group of elders of which I am one, and uh, Brother Will here is another, and uh, we've got, I think, seven in total. That sounds about right. Anyway, Will is going to address all of you this morning uh, from the Gospel of John about the nature and the goodness of Christian education, and so I'm going to pray for you and then let you jump right in. Father, thank you so much for uh, my brother and friend Will. I pray that you would bless him as he speaks uh, to these students and that they would hear well what he has to say and that it would be of great benefit and profit to them as they continue to learn and to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus our Lord in his name we ask it. Amen.
1: Amen. Well if you don't know uh, I am a graduate of Grace Christian School class of 2004 and uh, I've spoken here once before but I think we had a thinner crowd that day but uh, it is my privilege to be with you this morning again, and uh, this morning we're going to be in the Gospel of John, primarily in chapter 17, but to understand what's happening in 17, we've got to look at chapters 15 and 16, so I'm not going to read all three chapters, though I was tempted. I'll begin with uh, just reading my text, and then I'll go back and kind of fill in uh some of the context to get us us going. John 17, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. These are the words of Almighty God. And so we say, thanks be to God. To get a good grip on chapter 17, we need to see what's happening in chapter 15 and 16. So just very briefly, uh, we're at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He begins to explain to his disciples what's about to happen in the very near future. He tells them he's going to be leaving them. And he says that it would be better for them if he goes. He promises to send the helper. Jesus then goes on to teach about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I was tempted to read all three chapters, but we don't have that kind of time. So... uh, just for, for the background that you'll need to understand where we're at is, um, is this. There's an important application in this text for us in the, in this room in particular. and Jesus has something to say to all of us who are engaged in the good work of Christian education. Jesus tells his disciples he's about to leave. He tells them he's going back to the Father. He's not leaving them altogether. He promises to send the Helper, who you know is the Holy Spirit, whose job it is to convict the world of sin and point them to Jesus. But we're moved along in our narrative here. We, we see Jesus also makes promises to his disciples that they will suffer. He promises them persecution. If you look up at the end of chapter 16, the last verse in chapter 16, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He promises there will be suffering, and he says, stout heart, men, be of great courage, men, I have overcome the world. After giving his disciples this important teaching about tribulation that is coming, the promise of a helper, and then Jesus begins this prayer. John chapter 17 has been known throughout the history of the church as Jesus' high priestly prayer. What does that mean? Put very simply, Jesus is praying for other people out loud. This is the work of a priest representing his people before God. So what is it that Jesus thinks we need from the Father in this hour? This time of tribulation that is coming, this time when his people are at war with evil. You know, since that war has always been the, that epic battle between God and evil, but now, with the death and resurrection of the Son of God, the war has taken on a new tone. It's different now. And Jesus prays to the Father. He's clear he's not praying for everyone, but for those whom the Father has given him. Verse 9, I'm praying for those whom you have given me. They are yours. They are left here in the fight. I'm leaving them. And he has, Holy Father, keep them in your name. I have guarded them. I've kept them, verse 12. Not one is lost except the son of destruction, verse 14. I've given them your word and the world hates them because they're not of the world. Now question, what is it that separates God's people from the rest of the world? What is it that he's saying that makes them not of the world? It is the word of God. He's given us his words. He's revealed himself to us and revealed ourselves to us. The word of God has told us who we are, who God is, and how we are to relate to him. My observation is nobody's ever been able to make any coherent argument about the state of the world as we see it without borrowing from a biblical worldview. Why? Because God's word is the only thing that can make sense of this place. Why? Because God created it and he's told us about it. Then we come to some of my favorite words of Jesus. Verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Well, Sanctify means to set apart. We are set apart by the truth. He says your word is truth. Not that your words are true, but that your word is truth itself. What do I mean? I told you this would come back to the good work of Christian education. Let's talk about truth for a second. So as I said, Jesus is not telling us simply that the statements the Bible makes are true, though they are. But his point here is just a little further past that. Don't misunderstand me. I'm afraid somebody's going to walk out of here and think that I said that God's word is not true. Don't misunderstand. Of course, all the statements that the Bible makes are indeed true. But what Jesus is saying in this particular text is just a little further past that. Let me borrow this analogy from Jesus in Matthew 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. What does Jesus tell us about the difference in this rock foundation and this sand foundation? Well, the difference in the foundation is that the one man loves God's words and the other man despises his words. Jesus tells us that everyone is building a framework. Some build one that will last, withstand whatever may come, but others are building a house that is fragile. It will fall apart as soon as trouble comes, and we're all constructing a framework. So what do I mean by framework? Well, if you look up, the roof of this building is amazingly heavy. And how is it that we are holding this giant, massive structure up against the power of gravity? Well, to answer that question, if you look beside you, if you look up at these beams, you're going to see that the the weight of the roof is being transferred through these beams down to these columns and is anchored to this Concrete slab that we poured 70 years ago. In the same way, what you're doing today at school and what you're doing every time you watch TV or listen to the radio or read a book or have any conversation is forming a framework for you to make sense of the world. Social media is good at this. You are taking information and everywhere you look, somebody is telling you what things you should value what things you should love. And these things form a framework helping you to explain everything. Education is a huge part of that. So back to truth. God's word is truth. It is not simply true. It is the foundation of all truth. It is the concrete slab that is supporting all true things. Good education is not simply about learning facts and memorizing data. Good education is about learning how to think because truth is not abstract. What that means is no fact simply exists all on its own. fact, truth is not these individual things floating around out there somewhere. Rather, truth is like a puzzle where every piece of it fits together inside the whole and all according to how God made the world. Good education is able to show you how this thing that you learned in science is related to this thing you find in math is able to take true things and relate them to one another and anchor them on a foundation. And our text teaches that that foundation is God's word. Why don't we all provide a foundation for truth? Well, because about 100 years ago, our typical American education system embraced two lies. The lie that education is a purely practical exercise and the other lie that education can and should be neutral. Let's look at these quickly. The first one, education is purely a practical exercise. This is the emphasis on teaching those skills that directly translate to the industrial world. So if you've ever asked yourself the question, when am I going to use this? You're already asking yourself the wrong question. This represents a misunderstanding of what education is for. If you think that education is simply about getting a good job one day, you've missed the whole point. Education is really about helping societies to grow and prosper. The second lie I call the myth of neutrality This is the lie that education can and should be neutral. This is where we don't acknowledge the existence of God, and so we pretend that knowledge doesn't need a foundation. This lie is the enemy of education. So what happens when you tell people all the things they ought to believe, and then you pretend that all these things that you have given them have no need to be held together in any way, or anchored to anything fundamental? I call that something other than education. In fact, I call that foolishness. You see, all education is the product of a worldview. It is not neutral. Indeed, it cannot be neutral. Let me put it this way. Because in all our effort to exclude a foundation for knowledge, we are declaring that the existence of God and the need for the universe to hold together doesn't matter. This is the height of foolishness. It is a deeply religious message. It's not neutral. It's not saying nothing about God. It is saying that God doesn't matter and that truth doesn't have to make sense. It doesn't have to hold together. It doesn't have to be anchored to anything. Yeah, it's pretty bleak out there. I could spend the rest of the day pointing out statistics, demonstrating the abject failure that is the American education system. But I'll move on. This is why the only legitimate education is a Christian education. I'm going to say that again because I believe it with all my heart. The only people on the planet who have any business educating children are Christians. And I believe that because anybody can show you a series of data points for you to memorize. And those data points will all be true. But they will not be connected in any kind of way. And only the Christian can tell you why something is true. Of course, all people can get access to true information. Any atheist knows all kinds of things that are true, but he cannot explain why things are true. What do I mean? Two plus two equals four. Why? Have you ever wondered why that cannot change? See, math is not something we made up for fun. It's a system that was baked right into the fabric of the universe. We simply observed math. We didn't create it. Science is the same way. Logic is the same way. These are systems baked right in. We didn't put them there. And these systems depend on one fact. The idea that we should expect things to behave in the same way and that we should expect to see order all around us and that these laws of nature will hold steady. Every human being that has ever lived has been governed by the laws of mathematics, science, logic. doesn't matter where you live, your parents are, what kind of education you got, what time period you're born into. Every human being that has ever lived has been subject to these unchanging systems. And I can tell you why. Because all these things are true. All true things are cohesive. They're anchored to the foundational truth that all things are created by him and through him that all things are held together by the word of his power. And two plus two equals four, because Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The foolish man despised the words of the Creator. In doing so, he built a house of cards. He had no structure to bear the crushing weight of knowledge, the knowledge of who he is, the knowledge of his own guilt. The knowledge of the complexity of the cosmos. He rejected God's word. So his worldview could not hold up. His knowledge had no foundation. And he couldn't face the emptiness of his own existence. So be wise. Build your house on the rock. Drive your knowledge down deep into the foundation that is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Christian education. Lord, I pray that Christian education would flourish, that it would expand, that you would help us to love truth and reject lies. Lord, we pray that we would recover the richness and beauty of authentically Christian education for your glory. Lord, I pray for these educators, for the leadership of this school. Lord, I pray that we would be wise in guarding this good gift that you've given and I pray for these students that they would love education. They would drive their knowledge down deep into the foundation of your word. Because there is no knowledge apart from Christ. There is no freedom outside of Christ. So Lord, sanctify us in your truth. In Jesus' name.